God, we love you. Lord, we trust you. We honor you this morning. Let the King of my
about the goodness of God or whether you're wondering if God is really good this morning but either way let's affirm his goodness until it infuses our hearts you are good you are good oh you are good you are good Oh, you are good, you are good. Oh, you are good, you are good. Oh, and they pretty sure, yes, he is good, he is good. I planned the service to be a little shorter this morning because I knew it was going to be a little hotter. Uh, I've got some stuff I feel like the Lord's put in my heart to share this morning that uh, is going to make it feel hotter anyhow. So, um, Lord, as we turn to your word now, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would reveal yourself to us and your purposes for your kingdom, for our church, for our lives, for the for the city of Granite Shoals, for the hill country, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay. Um, I don't know when's the last time you spent any time in Matthew 25, but uh, I want to read it to you. Um, do what what. Paul said, or what Peter said, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So it's in Matthew 25, we, we hear this. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We excited about that? Woohoo! Sing the Lord, sing on his glorious throne. Amen? Hallelujah! And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, 
you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or, or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the very least of them, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, don't panic. <laughs> Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which is hotter than this, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they were like, but, 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 uh, uh, um, they were answering, they'll say, Lord, wait a minute. Wait, 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 there's got to be some mistake. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you, Lord? And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. <sighs> I want to go to the happy church. I don't like verses like this. Let me tell you a story. Um, about my week. Um, I, I suppose she wore sandals today, so is there, can you get something like put, put some shade on my feet as they're catching on fire? Uh, so, really, what would happen if we just put it down here like this? All right. Thank you. Okay, does somebody else need this umbrella? Too late. Um, um, so, this time, last week, we saw, had seen several days worth of chaos in our country. Protests and, and riots going on in Austin and uh, even a little bit of looting, stuff that's like that's never happened in Austin before. And it was scary and upsetting. Uh, we were, uh, I think we were all a little bit outraged, uh, confused and disturbed. And so, uh, Tuesday, I remind you about this every once in a while. I'm the president of the Highland Lakes Crisis Network, which is a network of churches. And so the board of directors started talking about, you know, we probably need to get pastors together uh, and, and talk about some sort of pastoral response for our community because we know people are worried. We know people are 
concerned. We know people are struggling with this and, and, and that people are afraid. So we, as, we need to get together and pray and ask God to guide us. What can we do to maybe get all the churches together and speak some word of comfort or direction or context that would uh, focus the body of Christ on the things that are on God's heart? So we had just started the process of scheduling that meeting. And then the Facebook postings started popping up because it turns out that a group of people in Marble Falls had decided they wanted to do a protest meeting here in Marble Falls. Some of you saw those, right? And what was your initial reaction? Oh, Lord. Oh, no. The last thing we need, the last thing we need is for that kind of insanity to come here. We can't let that happen. We've got to do, you know, they're already making plans. What can we do? Because we don't want that kind of craziness to come here. Uh, honk me and amen if you, if you agree. You don't want that kind of craziness to come here. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's right. Uh, so, um, I talked to Kevin Nobbin, who's the executive director of the Highland Lakes Crisis Network, and he said, yeah, I know all about it. As a matter of fact, the organizers who proposed this idea, they have already come to the police department because there's, they, they first came up, they first announced this idea on Sunday afternoon, and almost immediately they started getting scary emails and scary posts. Uh, and they were afraid and worried, and they went to the police and said, this, um, this isn't what we wanted. Uh, and I assume, when, Ke when Kevin told me that, I assume that this announcement had been picked up by Antifa and some of those radical, uh, destructive riot organizations, and that they were saying, oh, now we can go to Marble Falls and we can cause a lot of damage. And it wasn't until the next day, as Kevin explained to me, what came out of that meeting, that the thing that had scared them was the posts being made by white people in Marble Falls that were threatening them and were calling on people to get their guns out and to load their guns and start carrying them in their cars or start, start packing so that, uh, uh, and, and lots of uh, threats, one of the, the, these, the people that organize this uh, are connected to a particular church in town, it will elevate church, and the, the pastor started getting threats, and members of the church started getting threats from people in Marble Falls, telling them they better not have this event. Old time KKK. Yeah, this old time. Now I understand it's mostly because people are afraid. That's all it is. It's just fear. But before anybody tried to stop and understand what was really happening, they just overreacted. Um, I understand you watch the stuff on TV and it makes you afraid too. But in the process of people getting afraid, they made assumptions. So I need to give you some background. 
um, the organizers of this event are all kids who were either who just graduated from high school. They're all graduates from Marble Falls High School. And they didn't want to have a riot. They don't want to have a riot. They don't, they're, they, they're not angry. They don't want to break things. They saw this as an opportunity to help people in this area understand what it's like to grow up black here in Marble Falls. They just want an opportunity to tell their story and to explain to people what Black Lives Matter means to them. Because they, their impression is that white people just don't understand. And you couldn't understand if you haven't gone through what they've gone through. Um, and so they just wanted to give people some context. So, so it escalated from there. We had that. We had a meeting um, with, with the representative of the police department and some pastors here in town, uh, and some other community leaders, and we inv invited not the high school kids um, because we didn't want them to think that, that we were going to try to tell them what to do. We didn't, we didn't want to say, okay, yes, yes, uh, you kids had a cute, it's only cute, the kids are trying to get something started here. But we're the grown-ups now, and we're smarter than you, so we're going to take this over. Um, so we didn't want them to feel attacked or intimidated. Uh, so we didn't invite them to our meeting. We invited some adults uh, who are members of the black community, and we invited Bessie Jackson. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Bessie's lived here 40 some odd years, maybe longer. She's been on the, the Grand Shoals City Council. She spent years and years and years on uh, Marble Falls School Board. She's the matriarch that keeps St. Frederick's Baptist Church together. Uh, she uh, uh, managed the Community Resource Center for several years. Um, she was a pharmacy tech at, at Lakeland Pharmacy and HEB for a long time. She has been one of the most compassionate, respectable, Christ-centered, engaged agents for positive change that I've ever known in the Highland Lakes. She's wonderful. Uh, George Perry, who's the pastor at St. Frederick's Baptist Church, he came too, and a couple of other uh, African-Americans who own businesses here in town. And in our meeting, we just, we just said, obviously we're white people, and we think we know what our motives are, and we think we know how our hearts are, but could you just please tell us your story? Could you help us understand what you think is happening here? And we'll just listen. We're not going to get offended by anything that you say, but you just listen. I've never heard Bessie say anything that's not positive and encouraging in all the years that I've known her. Upbeat, constructive, collaborative. But for the next hour and a half, she and these other folks poured out their hearts to us about what it's really like to live as a black person 
in Marble Falls. Things I never would have dreamed would have happened here. Things I never would have dreamed people would have been capable of. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you the details because these are Bessie's stories and George's stories. I, I just will tell you that I was shocked. We may ask Bessie to come and and tell her stories to us because I think it's what is, is very clear is that we've and and our you know, we love Jesus and we love people. We love everybody. We don't consider ourselves to be racist. We don't even consider this to be a particularly racist community because on the surface everybody gets along, we all cheer for each other. But there are things that have happened in this community and that continue to happen in this community that we never hear about. And you know why we don't hear about them? You know why we don't hear about them? Because the black people don't tell us. They learned a long time ago and in fact, one of the things that Bessie did tell us, I told all my children and grandchildren that they're going to face times like this and that they got God on their side and that it's up to them to be the bigger person, to be the better person. And so when people say these things to you, when people treat you this way, you've just got to pray for them and walk away. Uh, and so for years... For the most part, they just held their peace and tried to live their lives. But when we gave them permission, you know, 12 or 15 leading pastors and community leaders in the area and representatives of the police department just opened the floor and said, tell us, tell us your story. They told us things that broke my heart. First of all, to know that they happened here. And second of all, to know that they have suffered in silence for all these years because they didn't think it would make any difference if they spoke up anyhow. Watch the stuff that happens on TV. It's horrible. And you get one of two messages from the stuff that's happening on TV. Either that uh, one message is police are fascist bullies and white people are cold-hearted privileged oppressors. Or the other message, depending on what side you're on, is that black people are lazy, ignorant, drug-addled criminals who just want everything handed to them, and they play the race card when things don't go their way. But the story is bigger than that. I'm not defending anything that you've seen on television because it's wrong. But I'm just telling you the story is bigger than that. And all these high school kids wanted to do was, at this tender age, in 2020, at this rally, which is going to be Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, in Johnson Park, they just wanted to break that chain of silence without without being without being outraged or condemning anybody. They just want us to know their story. See, we think that since we wouldn't ever treat people like that. And we try to be kind and be Christ-like around them. But racism really doesn't exist, or at least it's not our problem. And we're sick and tired of being manipulated by all this political correctness. It's driving us crazy. I'm here today to tell you this. There's a difference between being politically correct and showing compassion. 
There's a difference between politi being politi politically correct and showing compassion to people who are suffering silently in ways we can't possibly understand. Let me run some things by you real quick. You know, blacks and Hispanics are more likely to attend substandard schools. I'm going to talk about on a nationwide basis here. Blacks and Hispanics are more likely to, to attend substandard schools and live in substandard housing. They're less likely to go to college. They're the first people to be fired and the last person to get rehired when the economy breaks down. They have less access to good quality health care and they're more likely to be food insecure than anybody else. Prisons are filled with a lot of black offenders who are there for low-level drug crimes. I'm not saying they didn't commit the crimes, but very often blacks are overcharged and, and get the maximum sentence. Of course, the fact that they're in the first place is a big red flag that maybe there's some other things wrong in those communities and that locking them up isn't the only solution. Here's an interesting fact that's just now beginning to come to people's attention. Black people are several percentage points more likely to die from COVID. Have you read those? Um, there's, the doctors are still trying to figure it out. Why is it? Um, some of it's lifestyle, some of it's genetics. I'm going to have to sit down, I think. Uh, I'm almost done, but I, I don't want the devil to talk me out of finishing. know what it's like to not be sure that when you send your kids off to school they're not going to be uh, accused or attacked or arrested for something stupid before they get home it happens around here all the time I've got I've got stories now I can tell you um, the uh, black people black teenagers especially are more likely to have cops called on them for being in places that white people don't normally expect them to be. Here's a story that just came out this week. The University of New Orleans athletic director, a guy named Tim Duncan, not that Tim Duncan, but athletic director of the University of New Orleans, revealed this past Tuesday that he and his wife were stopped at gunpoint by Newton, Massachusetts police officers. Before he came to be the athletic director at the University of New Orleans, he was an athletic director of a college up in Massachusetts. And so Duncan, the black man, said they were stopped on May the 20th, a block from their house, while walking to the store. Just walking to the store. They still own a house there. Because he fit a profile of somebody that had committed a crime somewhere in the city. And so they were just looking, they were just looking for black people that were wandering around. And Mr. Duncan said, I'm disappointed in myself 
over the last few years in my life because I've actually just gotten used to these situations. I remember the talk that my mom and dad had given me about race and police from the time I was a little kid. So I knew everything was going to be okay because I've learned how to handle this. I knew things were going to turn out well for my wife and me because my family had that conversation with me all those years ago when I was little. He also made it clear that his family's preparation didn't excuse what happened in the slightest, but he, but he was just extra angry when it happened this time. Before he went public with what had happened to him, he went back to New Orleans and had a long talk with all the athletes in the athletic program at the University of New Orleans, and then he held a press conference just to explain that he had had policemen surround him and guns drawn on him because he was walking in his own neighborhood where his own house was and just happened to match a profile that could have been anybody in the city, that, any black person in the city. He said, it's not okay just because I'm a tall black man walking one block from my house that I'm pulled over and say I fit a profile of a murder suspect because I'm tall. I understand that the police have to do their job and trust me they do it but to roll down on me with guns on my on me and my wife taking a walk on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon is just uncalled for. It's also uncalled for when people like Ahmed Arbery are just jogging through a neighborhood. I mean, I'm a runner. I know how that happens. Just jogging through a neighborhood and having people hunt you down and shoot you in the back. He said, I've made a decision. I'm, I'm not going to just let it roll off my back anymore and go on. I'm, I'm going to start telling my story too. So we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Let me read you this quote. Here. Here's part of an email that went out yesterday from the people who are organizing this thing next Saturday. First and foremost, I want to express my deepest and most sincere gratitude for your show of support, talking to all the community allies, for these young people. They were afraid to have their identities revealed in the beginning due to fears of retaliation. However, they know now that there are more people who are for them than against them. Yes, we are fully aware that there is a national Black Lives Matter organization that has left the majority of the nation with a negative connotation of the term Black Lives Matter. But I can more than assure you that all this Marble Falls peaceful protest group are not people like that. They're not connected to agitators. They don't want to be placed in the same negative category as agitators. These organizers are Marble Falls High School kids. They are productive members of society. They're community volunteers. They're law-abiding citizens. Um, only the most pure and sincere prayers will be able to break the power of darkness that perpetuates racism and hate. And they are just asking for your prayers and your understanding so that they and their children don't have to grow up giving each other the talk. Um, 
on the back of your song sheets. This says it all pretty well. There's a picture of a little girl. And this, the first time I saw this, it just really touched my heart. This is where the communication is broken down. There's a sign that she's holding up. And it says, we said Black Lives Matter. We've never said only Black Lives Matter. We know, we already know, all lives matter. We just need your help with Black Lives Matter because right now black lives are in danger. I know that it's hard for you to believe, but there is an anxiety that most black people wake up with in the morning that never goes away about who they might run into that's going to put them down or make jokes about them or deprive them of something that we are accustomed to having every day. It's still happening. I respect the integrity of, of Bessie Jackson more than I respect my own. I have seen the blood, sweat, and tears she's poured in this community. And I know that when she breaks down in front of a group of community leaders and just pours her heart out, that it's something that can't be ignored any longer. So, the Black Lives Matter movement, when it was first started, it simply was black people trying to say, hey, we matter too. We know white people matter. We know brown people matter. We know uh, oriental people matter. But black people matter too. And, and I don't think you understand that people treat us like we don't matter. People still treat us like we're secondhand citizens. People still uh, look right through us and they talk down to us. And, and our kids are failing in school, and our health is failing, and economically we are several points below everybody else. Uh, we, we're not asking for handouts. We're not asking you to fix it for us. We're just asking you to understand that we matter. And, and can you pray for us? Can you partner with us? Can we work together to make our community a better community for everybody? Black people have been patronized and talked down to for years, and trillions of dollars have been wasted by governments, thinking that if we just put more money into government programs, it would fix the problem. But you can't fix the problem because why? Because it's not a problem that's caused by a lack of money. It's a problem that's caused by a lack of compassion and understanding and love uh, on the part of people that just by a change in our own hearts and change in the way we interact with each other could begin to break the yoke of bondage. So this coming Saturday, there's going to be a rally. It's going to be in Johnson Park. It's going to be a lot of prayer. These kids are going to stand up and they're going to tell their stories. There'll be intercessors there. Uh, there might be a little march, but it's, it's, it's the point is mostly 
to gather as a community to to pray for each other to pray for these kids to ask for God to send his anointing to this community I'll never forget the main thing that Bessie said after she told her story she said that Bessie said basically I don't care whether they have any more rallies um, my question is if we have a rally is anything going to be different after the rally's over with what are we as a community going to do to make it safer for minority children what are we going to do as a community to make it uh, possible for them to do as well as they possibly can in school uh, to, to have hope when they get out of school that they can that they can be the best version of themselves and go on to be a success in life what can we do to make them after they graduate maybe want to stay in Marble Falls and raise a community because it's right now black children once they graduate from high school they leave and they never come back because there's nothing in Marble Falls that they want to, to hold on to or remember so what are we going to do she said to change the way we as a society minister to and encourage and take care of children who have disadvantages because of the color of their skin if we're not going we're not going to as a community come together and make a change then another set of speeches isn't going to do any good not going to do any good not going to do any good and uh, I'm going to ask Mike to play a song now uh, it's an old song if you've never heard it before you need to hear it now it's a musical setting of the sheep and the goats by uh, a guy that was a tremendous influence in my life named Keith Green it's about 12 minutes long but it's, it's worth listening to so Mike Thank you. 
hungry, Lord, and we gave you something to eat. Lord, why are you thirsty? Can't remember. And we gave you drink. Huh. When were you naked, Lord? And we clothed you. Oh Lord, when were you a stranger? And we invited you in. I mean, we invited lots of people in. But Lord.
Oh Lord, that wasn't our ministry, Lord. We just didn't feel led, you know. But Lord, uh, but when were you sick? What did you have anyway? Well, at least it wasn't fatal. What well, was? I'm sorry, Lord. I would have sent you a car. you've not done it to the least of my brethren you've not done it unto me and as much as you've not done it to the least of my brethren you've not done it unto me depart from me and these shall go away into everlasting fire but the righteous into eternal life
more images on television of people doing stupid, foolish